Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us and welcome to our investor presentation. Welcome to the Baby Bunting Group Limited Full Year Results presentation. Your presenters today will be Baby Bunting CEO Matt Spencer and Darren Hochman, Baby Bunting CFO. There will be an opportunity to ask questions at the end of the presentation. To queue to ask a question, please press star 1 on your telephone keypad. To withdraw your question, press the star 1 again. The operator will announce your name and company and then open your line. For operator assistance at any time, please press star zero. And finally, I would like to advise all participants that this conference is being recorded. Thank you. I'll now hand you over to Matt Spencer. Thank you, Paulie, and good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us, and welcome to our investor presentation and review of the FY22 financial year. Joining me today is Darren Hookman, our Chief Financial Officer. Welcome, Darren. Good morning, everyone. Hi, Matt. Uh, before we commence, I'd like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands upon which we meet today, and I'd like to pay our respects to all First Nations people, past, present and emerging. I have been presenting the financial performance of Baby Bunting for several years now, and I'm pleased to report another year of solid growth and positive financial performance. I'd like to thank all of my colleagues at Baby Bunting who make these results possible and acknowledge their outstanding efforts in what I've described as another unusual year. Turning to slide four, the FY22 pro forma financial highlights. I'm very proud of our financial performance given the backdrop of macroeconomic issues that prevailed during the financial period. We continue to focus on growing market share and executing on our growth agenda and managing those aspects of the business within our control. We surpassed the half of the billion dollar mark in sales and continue to grow gross profit percent at a time when supply chain costs and inflation were big imposts during the year. I'm pleased to report that the EBITDA margin as a percentage of sales under the pre-AASB leased accounting standards measured, measure reached 10%, a significant milestone and a target we set ourselves a few years ago. Pro-former NPAT at 29.6 million grew 13.6% for the year. The pro-former NPAT result does include some New Zealand startup costs and looking at the Australian business alone, the EBITDA margin was in fact 10.4% for the year. The balance sheet ended the year in a very healthy position, and of particular note is our strong inventory position at the end of the period. A final dividend of nine cents per share has been determined, a full year rise on the prior corresponding period of 10.6%. Turning to slide five, our operating highlights. Keeping our team mentally and physically safe and our customers safe is an absolute priority as we support new and expected parents. The improvement in our safety performance achieved during the year is a real highlight. We opened four new stores, relocated two stores, and refurbished a further two stores in the store network. We had planned to open four stores in the second half. However, some of these stores have experienced handover delays from landlords due to challenges around building material supply and trade shortages. The impact of these delays on sales is in the order of around $10 million. We've now had Hornsby open last week, leaving the other three stores to open in the first half FY23. During the year, we deployed a new headless digital architecture, including a new website for both Australia and New Zealand to complement our store network. I'm pleased to report that the website launch has gone really smoothly and we've seen some really strong upwards in conversion and sales. We continue to leverage our omni-channel capability through the year, and we widened our store online fulfillment capability to 23 stores, such that 48% of online deliveries were processed through our store network, and this number keeps on growing. This complements our long-term goal of fulfilling 90% of Metro online orders same day. With the implementation of our new digital technology platform, we were able to launch our new loyalty program Baby Bunting family across all channels. This new program is performing very well as we seek to increase the lifetime value and frequency of visits by our loyal customers. We have once again improved our gross margin percentage this, by further, this year by a further 151 basis points. That is a significant highlight. There are a number of contributing factors to this growth, including private label and exclusive product, 
and the, real, the realization of benefits as a result of our transformational investment in our national DC and supporting merchandise systems that are now underpinning financial performance. For a long time now, we have reported our differentiated product assortment under the banner of private label and exclusive products, otherwise referred to as PLEX. And we have a long-term goal of 50% of sales being exclusive to base bunting. We ended this year with 45.3% of sales as exclusive to base bunting, another positive performance. These sales can be broken down as follows. 37.1% of sales are exclusive national branded product and this is up 16% year on year. The other 8.2% of sales are through our own private label brands being 4Baby, Jengo, and Bilby. This was a growth of 31.5% year on year. As evidenced by this breakdown, national branded exclusive product remains an important avenue for suppliers to grow their market share in Australia. There is also plenty of upside opportunity to grow our own private label ranges given that this product only makes up around 8% of total sales. As you may recall, our National Distribution Centre opened in Q4 FY21. In its first full year of operations, it is already driving efficiencies and delivering growth margin benefits as we increase our import program and transition direct-to-store suppliers to a centralised replenishment model through our distribution centre. This transformational investment coupled with our relatively new automated replenishment and merchandise financial planning systems, has underpinned improved stock availability and gross margin improvement. And finally, this morning we opened our doors to the first of 10 plus stores in New Zealand. This is a significant achievement. During the year, we had over $2 million of sales to New Zealand fulfilled from Australia, and we have commissioned a new distribution centre in Auckland, recruited a New Zealand-based management team, and made the necessary system changes to support our international expansion. A very exciting time for us here at Baby Bunting. In summary, a very, 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 very busy year with many highlights and a true reflection of a great team effort. I'll now take a couple of minutes to share with you some specific financial highlights in a little more detail. Please turn to slide seven. At $507.3 million of sales, we have delivered total sales growth of 8.3% and comparable sales for the year of 5%. This is a very solid performance given the challenges presented as a result of the pandemic. As an omni-channel retailer, through the year we saw that the omni-channel shopper spent on average two times more than an in-store only shopper and on average five times more than an online only shopper. This really supports our omni-channel expansion and investment strategy to grow market share. The variance to consensus sales number largely reflects the delay in store openings. This was around 10 million of sales and around $3 million was delayed sales as a result of supply challenges, in particular with one of the top selling brands. These sales are not lost as we were able to secure the orders in the form of laybys, which will be fulfilled this financial year. Then slide eight. Whilst being longer than expected birthing process, we did successfully launch our new online store and its supporting headless architecture stack in January 2022. Our conversion rate is up overall of 46 basis points versus the prior year. This investment positions us at the front of our industry to further progress great growth opportunities in our immediate market, which I'll expand upon later. It has also significantly improved our online security posture and is central to the progression of our omni-channel strategy. Having a great online experience alongside a great in-store experience is essential if we want to maximise our market share opportunity. Skipping ahead to slide 10. We continue to invest in the business as we progress our store rollout and drive market share growth. We're at around 50% of our store rollout and supporting investment is critical to support our growth. Pleasingly, we continue to see leverage of our store expenses through operational improvements and in-store efficiency gains. Of important note is that our store leases are not linked to CPI, a positive in times of high inflation. The overhead expense increase of 90 basis points is largely due to the introduction of our new DC and full year associated costs, which adds around 40 basis points of cost. But the gross margin benefits the new DC is enabling mean it is, as we expected, a net EBITDA accretive investment. 
a one-off initial investment to get the New Zealand operation established added around $1.5 million for the year, or an additional 30 basis points of cost, and the changes in the accounting treatment for cloud computing reduces depreciation and increases OPEX. We are well progressed in the reduction of printed paper catalogues and moving towards digital marketing and leveraging our new loyalty program to drive sales and promotional awareness. Speaking of our loyalty program, can we please move to slide 11? We launched our new loyalty program, Value Bunding Family, during the year. This is an omni-channel program that offers members a range of rewards and benefits. The program has been very successful with about 1.4 million loyalty members, of which around 705,000 members have been active through the past year. We believe this is to be the largest specialty loyalty program for new and expected parents in the, in the country. Loyalty customers spend substantially more than non-loyalty members. We're in the early stages of the journey to really unlock the commercial benefits through personalization and leveraging the customer insights. On slide 12. New Zealand is a $450 million market opportunity. Opening our first door in New Zealand has taken longer than we anticipated, largely the result of COVID restrictions and our inability to be in market. But it opened today and we're excited. We anticipated opening our second store in Christchurch in Q3, FY23. We've made significant investments in customer research, brand awareness campaigns, and the recruitment of local talent to bring the tailored New Zealand offer for New Zealanders by New Zealanders. Our strategy is to sell the widest range of products backed by great service and low prices every day. Super exciting for us as we open the doors of our first store today. I'll now hand over to Darren, our CFO, who leads our transformation program and will provide some further commentary on financial performance. Thank you, Darren. Thanks, Matt. I am on slide 13, which describes our transformation program, which was defined back in FY18. It comprised of a number of large investments to overhaul or modernise the business across systems, branding and supply chain. Date, the program is well progressed and already delivering value notwithstanding it has taken longer than anticipated. Largely as a result of COVID and the delays we experienced in launching the new website which pushed some projects back two years. In FY22, launching loyalty and our new online tech stack were big milestones for the business and we also progressed works on advanced order management, payroll and time and attendance systems which were all complete in FY23. We had also planned to complete the implementation of a new ERP and point of sale systems in FY23. We have now elected to defer further progress on these two projects to instead prioritise a significant growth opportunity which Matt will expand on a little later. The decision to change the timing of these very large projects will change the phasing of spend we had previously communicated but not the expected value of the overall cost of the overall program. Slide 15. Matt has already given some insights into margin and costs. I would like to add a little more in relation to the impact of COVID. A reminder that all of our stores across the country remained open the entire time through the pandemic. We did not receive any JobKeeper payment and there was little rent relief received. Predicting the flow of sales during the pandemic has been difficult and this last year was no exception as we experienced lockdowns, cycled lockdowns, lived through Omicron and saw fluctuations in customer buying patterns and channel switching as a result. During the year, COVID costs were in the order of $1.2 million, which was similar to last year. And then as we highlighted earlier, direct revenue impacts of new store opening delays were $10 million, which will now be picked up in FY23 as these stores roll out. As we all know, the pandemic has impacted supply chains across the globe and we have not been immune from this. Turning to slide 16. We focus on great value every day, every visit. Where possible, we've absorbed cost inflation through finding efficiencies in the supply chain. However, inevitably, some prices have increased. Key impacts to us have been in the area of international freight rates, which have substantially increased this calendar year, and product availability from local suppliers who import. In the majority of cases, we have alternative substitute products for the customer, 
In addition, by utilising our lay-by capability, we've been able to secure customer orders if product shipments have been delayed. Domestically, we saw disruption to Western Australia and Queensland in the second half of the year as a consequence of flooding, plus we also felt the effects of higher fuel prices. I would like to turn our attention to the financial schedules, starting with slide 18. We are presenting the income statement on a pro forma basis to clearly demonstrate the underlying trading performance of the business. There is a reconciliation explaining the differences between the pro forma profit and the statutory profit in the appendix, and also in the full year accounts. But in summary, the current prior year differences relate to the exclusion of employee equity expenses and significant business transformation program costs. Key drivers in our profit performance this year has been the 151 basis points of gross margin improvement delivered without any change to our promotional program and another year of strong comparable store sales growth of 5%. These two elements in combination delivered EBITDA margin growth of 90 basis points for the Australian business resulting in that 10.4% of EBITDA margin. At the impact line, the Australian business was up 20% year on year which converted into 13.6% of profit growth at the group level. The delta between these two numbers is the startup costs in New Zealand, which were around $1.5 million, plus we incurred three months of warehousing and staffing costs um, as we initiated operations in New Zealand. I might just take a second to refocus in on sales. Whilst comp sales growth of 5% overall for the year was very pleasing, this did feature a high first half comp of 6.8% and lower second half comps of 3.3%. There is a few elements to this half on half difference. Generally, the broader economic overlays present in the second half were Omicron, plus growing commentary in the media and throughout the election of increasing cost of living pressures Plus, we also had significant flooding across WA and Queensland, which impacted stock flows in the second half. Through the second half, we did see increased market pressures by smaller players as they remained on promotion for longer periods and discounted the number one selling car seat in the market. As our commitment to value and to ensure we remained in front of the competition, we met these activities front on, as evidenced by us also moving our number moving a number of our bugaboo range to everyday low pricing and to maintaining our price leadership on car seats. More broadly, in terms of our own data points, we didn't see any evidence of the consumer trading down as ASP was up in both the first and second halves. In terms of the specifics that drove a lower second half comp, the key factors were a stock out of the number one selling brand, which Matt mentioned earlier, this impacted sales by 3% or a little over 1% for the half. We know this as we secured these lay-by orders, but delivery delays from the supply meant these orders remained open at year-end. Secondly, as the first half was featured by national lockdowns due to the exploding COVID case numbers, people staying at home loaded, loaded up on plate year items. As thankfully lockdowns didn't feature in the second half, as such, a half on amp impact of close to 1% on sales. ...contributed to comp growth. Its contribution to comp growth was lower. Can you still hear us? Might have you having some tech difficulty at head office? Yes, we can hear you coming through. Oh, you can hear us coming through? Thank you, I'll Thank continue. You. So uh, my last point on uh, comp sales differential is whilst ASP was up in both halves, its contribution to comp growth was lower by 1% in the second half. And this was due to a couple of things. We had significant growth in our mid-price point private label Django Pram noting that we launched a new range um, in, later in 2021. This has exceeded all expectations in terms of popularity and whilst impacting comps, it has delivered significant second half margin growth for us that helped defray the margin impacts of things such as higher container freight rates 
and the lower FX rate we have to manage through the second half. And finally, also having some impact, but to a lesser degree, with our, our response to that competitive pricing that I mentioned earlier. So to summarise, overall, both transactions and units were up in both halves, and it was pleasing to see ASP growth in both halves. Impacts on total sales growth were delayed store openings, lower second half sales of play year, and some transition to lower price point, but much higher margin pram products, but overall a continuation of some very positive trends for the business. To close out the discussion on the P&L, whilst we have been transacting in New Zealand for two years, to date this has essentially been a brand building exercise as we reinvested margins into customer research and digital marketing. We are looking forward to what can be achieved through the new stores and the local website now that we are live in both. On to the balance sheet on slide 19. We continue to run our balance sheet with plenty of headroom with the key call out being higher inventory and increases in the lease related asset and liability balances. A few things to call out on inventory which has increased by circa $17 million year on year. The key part of the increase relates to a two-week two increase in safety stock to mitigate variations in the timing of international delivery receipts. Secondly, four new stores opened during the year that added about $3.5 million in store stock. And lastly, we commenced infilling inventory to our new warehouse facility in New Zealand. This will give us capacity to fulfil 5,000 SKUs nationally both stores and online customers in New Zealand. A year-end stock on hand in this DC was around half a million dollars, which will build close to $3 million through FY23. Regarding leases, the change balances primarily rate to a significant number of renewals executed during the year, four new leases in Australia, our Auckland store now open, and our New Zealand warehouse. We continue to retain plenty of headroom in our $70 million borrowing facility, which we renewed for a further three years with NAB back in March. Moving to the cash flow statement, slide 20. Pleased with the improvement in our operating and free cash flow conversion ratios year on year. Regarding free cash flow, our conversion ratio is impacted relative to more mature businesses that aren't investing as much as we continue on both our transformation and organic growth through the new store rollout programs. Next year's capital investments will again be significant in FY23 as we plan to roll out at least eight stores across Australia and New Zealand, continue to invest in our digital architecture and progress the transformation program, and hopefully get a couple of store refurbs in also. I'll now hand back to Matt who will discuss some exciting news around future growth opportunities. Thank you, Darren. Some really pleasing numbers that feeds well into what I want to talk about now. And that is essentially why baby bunting is an attractive investment with significant opportunities into the future. I'm on slide 22. I just want to highlight that this slide talks to the unique position baby bunting is in, in a less discretionary retail sector, driven by the approximately 300,000 births per year. On slide 23, we're the only national specialty baby retailer with a clear omnichannel advantage over our competitors. Our positioning and advantage provides us with future growth opportunities. Some of these opportunities are summarised on slide 24. We conduct a store network review by third-party demographers every two years and have done so since 2008. The latest iteration of our network plan, which is based on our market share and financial performance, has seen our potential network plan increase to 110-plus potential stores in Australia and 10-plus stores in New Zealand. In addition to this, our current addressable market sits at $2.5 million. We believe that through the opportunity of range and product expansion, we can redefine this as being more like $3.5 billion now. We have the leading specialty industry website and we see the opportunity to implement Australia's largest and most comprehensive baby or nursery marketplace to support new and expected parents with all their needs in one location. Really, the one-stop baby shop. We see further opportunity to grow within our new total addressable market with a focus on everyday value. Our best buys or EDLP range in FY22 was 37.7% of sales and we see room to expand this further backed by our 5% price fee promise. 
and then with the opportunities to leverage our loyalty program further to deliver growth. Darren, can you please provide a little more detail behind the network growth opportunity and the economics of new and mature stores? Thanks, Matt. I'm on slide 26, which presents our updated store economic slide. When we first presented this slide back in 2016, our average mature store uh, return on invested capital metric was 70%. This average is now plus 100%, delivered through continued expansion of market share with higher growth margins and strong management of our store cost base. Our mature store cohort is now up to 42 stores, 39 metro and three regional. For our mature metro stores, 27 of the 39 are delivering plus 100% ROIC, with nine between 70 to 100% and two below 50%. Regarding our regional stores, of which there are six, that have completed more than two full years of trade, these stores are delivering capital returns on average of 80%. Virtually all our stores are performing incredibly well, and on a further positive, our shopping centre stores, which were hit hard for foot traffic, are also performing well. Our regional stores, without exception, have exceeded our expectations on sales and returns, such that we are now taking larger tenancies, which will also serve to perform local area online fulfillment. Matt, back to you. Uh, thank you, Darren. I can go to slide 27. Uh, when we presented the half-year results in February, I raised the concept of increasing the size of our addressable market, which today stood at around $2.5 billion. The pandemic has impacted retail in many ways, but positively it has accelerated the growth and maturity of the transition to online shopping and the omni-channel experience. In Australia, we are now levels and experience consistent with other markets, the baby category is no different. Many categories, such as car seats and trams, cots and furniture, lend themselves to a tactile, in-store and omni-channel offer, and categories such as toys, apparel, soft goods and feeding have seen a growth online. Additionally, our online range has been governed by our store footprint or format and the associated shelf space. We have historically identified the total overall baby goods market at around $5.2 billion. Our analysis, should I say, has highlighted that within the overall market, the online channel has expanded significantly. With our significant investment in our digital platforms and our national distribution centre, we are now in a position to be able to expand our online offer and therefore contemplate a significantly larger addressable market. For example, online baby wear as a channel has grown from $130 million 370 million in recent years. This traditionally has not been a product category that we have supported in our online offer. Alongside our expansion of our online offer, the introduction of a marketplace provides us with a platform to broaden our offer of first-party products by dropship and present the opportunity for third-party suppliers to leverage our online traffic to sell differentiated products and hence broaden our range and ultimately the total addressable market for baby bunting. On slide 28, we break down the addressable market opportunity a little further. In particular, the categories of baby clothing or apparel will receive range expansion to zero to four years as an opportunity. Likewise, toys, where we currently have a limited offer, we see an opportunity to increase our addressable market to up to five years old, leveraging online and marketplace capabilities. And there are other categories where we're looking to increase our range within the already substantial addressable market. Slide 29. I've mentioned marketplace a few times now. Today we're excited to announce that we have plans to introduce Australia's most comprehensive specialty marketplace for baby products. We're planning to build on the proposition of the one-stop shop, one-stop baby shop, leveraging our 32 million plus website visitations to bring together a marketplace that will showcase more products, more brands, more suppliers, and ultimately give parents and parents to be more choice through their parenting journey. The work has commenced as we build out the offer and establish the technical platform. We have selected a marketplace technical solution provider who is working with us to establish this capability. We see the marketplace as an ideal way to grow existing categories and grow our market share of our expanded total, total expandable addressable market, or TAN. We'll do this via first-party suppliers, both existing and new suppliers, and dropship capabilities. 
We'll also be introducing third-party suppliers to sell a range of products. We're expecting to launch the base button marketplace in the second half of FY23, and we look forward to updating you on progress as the year progresses. Moving to slide 29, a brief trading update. As of the 10th of August, comparable store sales growth is strong at 15.3% year-to-date. Total sales growth has been 19.3%. We expect comparable store sales growth to moderate as we cycle periods affected by lockdown throughout Australia. We are committed to great value every day, every visit, and we will be expanding our best buyer range and our loyalty program as part of our commitment to delivering the greatest value to new and expected parents. We anticipate opening new stores, eight new stores in FY23. Six will be in Australia, and this includes our recently opened store at Hornsbring, New South Wales, and two will be in New Zealand, including our Elden store, which opened today. Given the continuing economic uncertainty, FY23 guidance cannot be given at this point in time. Thank you so much for your attendance today. We will now open the floor to questions. Please remember to state your name and where you're calling from. Thank you so much. Thank you, gentlemen. At this time, I would like to remind everyone, in order to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad. Your first question comes from the line of Alexander Mees from Morgan's. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, Matt and Darren. Um, thanks so much for taking my questions. Um, just start, starting with New Zealand, um, I'm wondering, obviously, you have a new DC that you flagged, a new management team. Um, you've got one store opening already and one later in the year. Should we expect New Zealand to contribute positively to the bottom line in, in FY23? Uh, hi, Alex. Uh, I'll take that question. Uh, at this stage, I'd say no. Um, it was, you know, we're, we're investing around about $1.3, $1.5 million in terms of um, fixed costs into the um, into that uh, business in the next financial year, adding to that to our cost profile, it really will be dependent on um, what the new stores and online achieve. But at this stage, I don't anticipate that um, you know a, a loss between you know one to two million dollars for the financial year. And as we scale up stores and as we grow our online presence, that should be uh, you know would expect to move that you know into positive over future years beyond FY23. That's great, thank you. Um, just secondly, if I may, uh, with regard to the, the gross margin, you have seen some in, improvement in the ASP and you continue to see private label moving up um, and exclusive moving up. I just wonder, um, should, can, you, can you hold gross margin in the, um, in, in the current financial year or is that too much to ask? We've certainly got a number of um, uh, programs in place that we're going to try and grow it, but it really will depend on the kind of um, any potential cost changes that may come through. But certainly, you know, we're focused on trying to maintain or grow that to a degree in the current financial year. That's brilliant. And one more very quick one, um, just with regards to the marketplace, which is obviously exciting news. Just wondering um, what sort of investment you might have to put in in terms of your own inventory to, um, to facilitate the growth of that marketplace in 2023. Well, marketplace specifically won't be an investment in inventory. Um, the sales, uh, one piece sales, will be facilitated by drop ships, so we don't touch that inventory, we don't hold that inventory. And then the 3P or the commission based um, revenue model, that's um, which goes from supply to customer, that's similarly, you don't touch that inventory. In terms of um, you know, what it means for the um, uh, metrics for FY23, there'll be a stand-up cost of around a million dollars, and then in the, in the current financial year, and then ongoing, you know, we've got a, a people, um, you know, investment of around a million dollars again per annum, and then there'll be a, um, you know, a per-click charge as we utilise as orders flow through the, um, the new platform. So that's kind of what it's going to look like in the current financial year. I wouldn't anticipate um, you know, anything significant or anything material with regards to sales performance, but um, we're expecting to get that up live and going in the second half. Yeah, and I think I think it's also fair to add that we've we've added some further buying capability into our organisation, um, and some of that costs already started to run through uh, back yeah. in the half. Yeah. 
I sort of stand back and look at this and go, it's a low-cost investment for a potentially great ROI and with um, you know, low risk around it. Great, thanks. Sorry, good result. Thank you. Thank you. Your next question comes from the line of Sam Teager from City. Your line is open. Hi, Matt. Hi, Darren. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Sam. G'day. Uh, yeah, first question. Um, can you help us understand how we should be thinking about CODB growth in FY23? Perhaps if you can maybe step through some of the key line items such as wages, rent, marketing, and anything else you think it's worthwhile calling out? Yeah, sure, Sam. So our, um, our award for our retail stores uh, lines up with the um, Fair Work um, wage case, which handed down a 4.6 to 4.7% uh, wage increase. And so uh, we will absorb that into our uh, retail store staff and also our distribution centre staff. Um, in the absence of any sales growth, then the impact on that in terms of our cost base is around 70 basis points. But obviously, you know, we're, we're a growing business with, um, you know, expectations around, you know, further market share growth. And so, you know, we think that that's a, a quantum that we can um, hopefully absorb. In terms of head office costs, um, you know, it's, uh, which aren't attached to that wage case, um, certainly, there are some sort of pressures with regards to uh, wages in, in the market, but um, you know that that'll add. You know, CPI would you know add something in the order of you know two million dollars to our cost base in the um, current financial year. I would have imagined. You then overlay that with regards to in terms of the stand-up cost for New Zealand. That will you know we've mostly invested all of that. There might be another you know three to five hundred thousand dollars to close that out. We've added, um, we're adding uh, three new um, category buyers, which is really exciting, and we're going to sort of support that um, targeting the, uh, the expansion of the uh, TAM from 2.5 billion up to 3.5 billion. Um, we've got those um, fixed costs that we're adding into New Zealand that I talked about, and then as we add stores in, um, we'll also, that will obviously increase our um, our retail costs, and then there'll also be some scaling costs in in head office to support that expanding um, store network and the operations in New Zealand. Right, and just in terms of just your rent, um, I know you guys aren't linked to CPI, so what should we would be expecting for um, your existing stores? So our existing stores are on average, actually, you know what, that that is a commercial number, and, and I'm not going to call that out, but it doesn't change the profile of the P&L at all. So the, the depreciation and the interest costs go up as we add new stores, and then as you pay the uh, the, le the lease rent, you can see them sort of, um, you know, you can see those balances on the balance sheet sort of flow down. But it doesn't change the profile. But the good thing is, as you point out, and the thing to highlight is that we are I've got fixed. Um, low single percent uh, numbers, and they're not CPI attached. Got it. And then on the subject of stores, you're saying at least six for 23. Um, what's the first half, second half split, and um, just a mix between metro, regional, and shopping centre? It's uh, it's six in Australia, two in New Zealand. Uh, New Zealand is open one. Now and then, with a second one, um, we're getting handover. It's going to be between December to January when we take handover of that stores. Um, in the first half, we're expecting to uh, well, we've opened Hornsby already. Uh, we're opening uh, in the outer western suburbs of Melbourne, a store called um, Burnside. That'll be opening in late August, uh, mid September, around there. Yeah, and then we take on Hectorville. In, uh, in the second half, and then we've got Logan Home uh, also in the second half. So, yeah, so it's um, it's it's basically a half on half split. I might add just on that store rollout as well is that um, you know they are all committed leases, leases undergoing bills. We're we're in negotiation on a number of other 
opportunities that could potentially land in the financial year, but just given what we've experienced in FY22, um, you know, we're sort of calling out those uh, stores that are opening more near term and we've got confidence around. But as we go through the year, we'll give another update at the AGM and then another update in February as to the store rollout um, as it progresses through the course of the year. Sure. And then just final question on the marketplace strategy. Will the customer be able to differentiate as to what's on the marketplace versus what's kind of on your existing website? And um, you know, to what extent will the company be screening new brands that wish to sell on the marketplace for things like product quality, safety, ability for, to fulfill, um, just so any customers on the marketplace have a good experience? Um, yeah, absolutely. Good question, Sam. So, so the marketplace actually is one integrated piece, which is savebunding.com.au, effectively. Um, it is very clear, as, and we're still going through the, the technical field of all this at the moment, so it will be clear that where the product is being sourced from, so um, that will be, um, uh, if, it's, if it's sourced by somebody who's a third party, that will be very clear to the, the, the consumer. We, we certainly want to put um, some rules around it from a customer experience point of view, so obviously we'll be managing and, and monitoring fulfillment, the fulfillment policies, etc. and so we're doing a lot of work around fulfillment um, in, in, our, in our organisation today, with also with advanced order management uh, occurring in, um, in the first half of this year. Um, and, uh, and so certainly we'll be, we'll be looking at making sure that customer experience is in line with where we're at. Um, you know, there's some finer detail around how do you manage um, you know, you know, calls, returns, etc. And we're working through all those individual pieces. Uh, we've certainly uh, built, started building a team around this to give us the best possible opportunity to understand uh, where, the, where the pressure points are in the space. Um, you know, we, we are from from a, from a product compliance and safety perspective. Um, you know, essentially the seller is the person who's accountable for uh, making sure that all the compliance things are right. But we've certainly got a very strong compliance program in our business. And we won't be. Um, we're making sure that you know what we open on our marketplace is absolutely in line with our expectations. Right. And, and sorry, just on the subject of marketplace, will, will you try and make the marketplace from a from a supplier profitability perspective more appealing than other marketplaces such as eBay and Amazon to try and give it a real kickstart? But I think from from our perspective, we're already the largest. Uh, especially David, this retailer with the highest amount of traffic there, uh, we'd expect that there'd be many, many suppliers or people who would like to get on, get, take advantage of the eyes that we already have them. We're, we're now around 32 million unique visitations to our, to our website through the year, um, you know, and it's certainly a destination for specialty baby goods. So clearly, uh, we, we believe that there'll be a, a significant uptake uh, of uh, suppliers wanting to participate. Um, we're still working through what that, that commission and revenue-based model is. I mean, that's all commercial and incompetence at the moment, so we're working through all that. But uh, look, we, we certainly see that there's a benefit for, first and foremost, the customer to go to one location in Australia for all their baby goods needs. And for suppliers, it's a great to have their products showcased, especially when there's niche or sustainable products, etc., which might not have broader audiences at the moment. Got it. Thank you. Thanks, Sam. Your next question comes from the line of Rachel Harwood from Macquarie. Your line is open. Yeah, good morning, Martin and Darren. Thanks for taking my questions. Uh, just one's on the online. Um, so, I mean, you mentioned the uh, shift online is growing as a proportion of sales. Could you maybe just comment on the mixed shift in terms of the impact on margins and then how you're thinking about this going forward and maybe how you're seeing the competition in the online market? So... I mean, the, the only real differential in terms of online margin to in-store margin is the um, cost of delivery, and but that is uh, offset by lower um, fulfilment costs being related to fulfil that. And so, on a on a store level, relative from contribution perspective, uh, it is um, consistent with um, our mature stores, so 20% above. In terms of the um, online, the, the categories that we're sort of targeting in terms of the expanded TAM, um, they are high margin categories. And, uh, and then we're certainly sort of building out our online range. We've got 4,000 pick slots open in our VC that we can 
um, that we're planning to put our product in there. If you then look at what is the impact going to be of marketplace in terms of overall margin, I think it's too early to say because we, we don't understand what the um, the balance between you know one p and three p is going to be. Three p is essentially commission that is one hundred percent margin, and then the the one p which is dropship product, um, the cost of goods flow through our P and L, and um, and then you've got the you know the, the the margin there. I think what the opportunity though does present is, is you know we, we can get a lot of great grants on our um, on our website that we currently don't range, and so and there's no you know there's no risk you know there's no inventory risk associated with that. So and you've got a low cost to serve. Has that helps answer the question for you, Rachel? Yeah, that's great. Thanks for that. Um, and just last question for me, apologies if I missed it, but just looking at inflationary costs, I mean, you mentioned some inflationary costs like wage increases. Um, how, to what extent are you able to manage this uh, with price increases or promotion? And then could you maybe just comment on freight costs and FX rates heading into FY23? I'm like, okay, there's three elements to this. I think if so, if we miss one, um, we'll, we'll call it out. So we did talk about, so our, our, st our stores and our DC staff, will, you know, they get the, uh, the benefit of the, um, the fair work wage rate rise, which was between 4.7%. So that, that flows through. Um, assuming if, if, if on a zero sales base, and we're certainly not expecting that, to give, but to give you a sense of scale, that would add around 70 basis points of cost. But as you, uh, so it's really around will it leverage or deleverage? It depends on what, what our comp sales are really relative to that that number. And then you know we're anticipating probably around a four percent um, you know CPI for our uh, head office staff also. Now just give me the other two elements of the question. Yeah, so are um, you able to manage this with price increases? Yeah, I think the important point here is um, we've got a price beat guarantee out there or price beat promise and ultimately uh, we want to make sure that we deliver great value to our customers every day, every visit. And, 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 and you know, our, our, our price beat is sub 1% in terms of overall sales at the moment. Um, so what we've tried to do is we've tried to absorb as many prices, price increases as possible through leveraging our scale and leveraging our supply chain capability and bringing things through to the distribution centre, such as uh, taking direct store supplies and bringing it back to the through the, uh, the distribution centre and then you know, being able to buy better. And then you know, the part, you know, instead of putting the price rise up, we were sort of trying to you know, make sure we keep great value each day um, and each visit. So essentially we're trying to absorb as much as we can. There are inevitably some price rises that, that have occurred. So we've always got to sit there and be conscious that we want to be seen as the place to go for great value every day. So, you know, uh, where possible, we'll keep on putting, um, you know, trying to trying to uh, maintain that, that commitment to our customer value. Uh, we've also got our loyalty program that sits over on top of this overarching where you you get a, um, you know, you, you get a cumulative spend of uh, $200, you're going to get a $10 reward. Um, so that also is related to our pricing as well. That's great. Thanks so much. Thank you. The next question comes from the line of James Casey from Ord Minute. Your line is open. Uh, good morning, gents. Um, the, the inventory position and the $12 million in safety stock, um, in, in, is that a permanent shift or is that just temporary? And if it's temporary, what's sort of the timing on the unwind? Uh, well, there's, I think that there's been no real change in terms of certainty with regards to um, international shipping lines, Jane, and, and that's what I point to on this one. Um, to the extent that that remains uncertain, the safety stock will remain in place. Um, yeah. Uh, and, and, I, and I also think, James, one of the things that we're also doing is we have got a really, you know, over, over the period of time, we have got a reasonably immature supply chain. And we are actively growing our import programs on FOB, and that means we're bringing in container loads, uh, you know, buying further up the supply chain. So, you 
know, there is a relative natural increase of inventory in our DC at, at that point as well. Yeah, and, and I mean, the, the, the very pleasing uh, aspect of our store return on investment performances was that despite that uh, increase in uh, inventory, um, you know, we were manage, we, we, we still managed to um, have uh, or improve marginally our um, our return on capital for the for the stores because we actually add that into the calculation. So the margin improvements that we've um, achieved and delivered have, have certainly offset offset that uh, investment in safety stock um, for the time being. Okay, um, I, I just want to clarify the uh, Darren. I think you said the contribution from New Zealand in FY23 would be minus one to minus two mil. Is that correct? Yeah, I, I can tell you that. I mean, it's very. We, we don't have a sample size to go on in terms of store sales growth, right? Yeah. Um, so, oh, what I can tell you is that our our fixed, you know, overhead costs, which we expect them to be around $1.5 million for the for the full year, and I can yep. forecast them reasonably certainty, with reasonable certainty. In terms of what the business might do overall, uh, it will be really dependent on sales. You know, I still think we're going to get reasonable gross margins over there, but it's really going to be a sales game in terms of how those new stores perform and how much we can grow our online revenue. And is your expectation they will be at similar productivity levels as the Australian stores in terms of sales per square metre? I would say, given that the level of our brand awareness in that market, um, that's a question mark. However, putting our offer in to New Zealand relative to our competitors, you know, I'm kind of really excited by that. It's going to be a really interesting, um, it's going to be a really interesting watch to see how this plays through. And I know that, you know, talking with our general manager of operations this morning, you know, the you know the staff who are some of them have been in the industry for uh, some years were really excited to see all so much range come together in one place. Yeah. Uh, just last one, just given you did mention the cost of living pressures, uh, I know it's early in FY23, but is there any evidence of trading down in certain categories at this point, or are consumers unchanged? No, we haven't really seen anything. We saw, um, you know, we saw ASP growth in the second half. Yeah, we saw ASP growth in the first half, it was, it was to a different level, but that would be there were some underlying factors due to that. So, um, yeah, it's um, no, nothing at this stage. Okay. Thanks, guys. Thank you very much. As a reminder, if you would like to ask a question, press star, then the number one on your telephone keypad, and your next question comes from James Bales from Morgan Stanley. Your line is open. Oh, hi guys, just maybe firstly a clarifying question on New Zealand profitability. You guys called out costs in New Zealand of 1.5 million in FY22. Is the loss that you're yeah. calling out in FY23 incremental to that? Okay, so the startup costs that we incurred were um, $1.5 million in FY22. There's another, we'll incur another $300,000 of startup cost to, to complete um, uh, launch of the, the website, the store, uh, and DC. They've, they've largely been incurred now in the first you know, month and a half. In terms of the overall cost profile um, ongoing, it'll be you've got a DC in place, and you've got some head office costs, and you've got some. Um, Buy, buyers in place, some merchandising team, some operational support team in place. So we expect those costs to be around $1.5 million. In terms of what the result is for New Zealand, that will be dependent on how the stores perform and how online sales perform. The fantastic thing about um, where we've landed in terms of our, our cost profile is that 
we've gone into New Zealand with 5,000 SKUs available online um, for the New Zealand customer, and I think that's probably the leading offer in the market. And so, you know, we're really excited about the potential in terms of, you know, growth and what we might be able to do online. And, you know, we know we've got a really compelling offer for the uh, for the stores. That is very differentiated in terms of scale and range relative to the competition. Okay, got it. Um, maybe just shifting into inventory, I think you guys have called out an extra two and a half million that'll be required for New Zealand. From the 97 million that you ended the year with, what are the other moving pieces that we should think about in terms of where that's going to take the balance? So, you know, you need to have inventory for eight new stores. Are there any other moving parts that we should be taking into account here? Not really. Um, we've seen we've increased our um, and uh, we've moved around 10% of our um, cogs from direct to store fulfilment into our DC. We haven't seen an overall material change. Uh, it's been a very minor change in the inventory levels associated with that movement. So that's really pleasing. So we did gross margin gains and we haven't really changed our inventory profile, but we're certainly getting, we've got a better in-stock position as a result because, you know, we're sort of managing it through our own supply chain. The real moving part will be if, and uh, we're expecting at some point when, you know, international supply chains, the pressure on those supply chains moderate, then we'd like to think that we can sort of, um, you know, take our safety stock levels back down to more normalised levels that we've had in previous years. Got it. And then finally, um, I just wanted to touch on comps for the first six weeks. You talked about some of the um, pressures you'd had in having the right inventory on hand. Has that strong comp number for the first six weeks been impacted by that pent-up demand and been inflated, or is not that not that timing not really a factor? I think so. The inventory's coming in, so we've probably picked up some um, some of those sales, but primarily, you know, the big factor is cycling the lockdowns of the prior year. So the the sort of two-year stack of sort of plus nine percent that you've called out is something that you think reflects the underlying trading performance of the first six weeks? The first six weeks of the financial year is the smallest trading window for the whole year of the business. So I don't think that that reflects the underlying trading performance. I mean, we have moved a couple of our um, categories into um, everyday low pricing, so, you know, that will sort of what you know that will sort of that smooths out our trading profile. You know, in the first six weeks, you know, four weeks, four of those six weeks are off catalogue. You know, we get a bit of a sale benefit there. We haven't really quantified it, but I would have thought that you know, you know, what we're expecting is for us to move more back in line with our historical um, um, growth profile of comps, which is sort of mid single digits. Got it. Thanks, guys. I appreciate the help. Thanks, Josh. Your next question comes from the line of Chad McHale from Baron Joey. Your line is open. Oh, good morning. Um, can you hear me? Speaking a little bit, please, Chad. Yeah, great. Um, sorry about the background noise. I'm on the training floor. But um, look, I want to ask a more you know medium to long term question rather than, than go through some of the near term stuff which was covered off in the Q and A. So the business, it's clearly a growth business, and there's three aspects of the business just want to touch on. Firstly, revenue, margin, and then the overall category itself. Just on revenue, you know, when you look at consensus numbers, typically we'll go back to a you know, like-for-like uh, scenario of 2.5%, you know, 3%, which probably marries you know, GDP in the medium term. My question around revenue, firstly, is what percentage of market share do you think the business is now? And obviously, this is a, a market share gain you know, story and business. So... Can you maybe give us a perspective on, on how big you are in the current market if you've got some of those metrics and a little bit of a comment around market share and I'll go through the others after that. Uh, yeah, 
A very interesting question. So I would say if you contrasted our sales for F22 against our historical TAM, you're talking about half and half a billion dollars over a two and a half billion dollar market, so that's a 20% market share. Higher in some categories, lower in other categories. Um, contrasting that number to a 3.5, uh, then we're more talking about um, something in the order of 15% market share. And the and the ones that we've got lowest market share penetration in today. Sorry, you just cut off at that last sentence. Maybe just repeat that quick. Oh, in, in terms of the in terms of the uh, change in TAM from 2.5 up to 3.5, uh, we we feel that you know the, uh, the the categories or the elements, the categories that we've added, are the categories where we've got the lowest market share in today. So you know you know represents a significant upside for us given where where we're investing all of our um, capital. Yeah. And just a second question on margins. I appreciate you've we've covered some of the margin questions um, already, but this business is, is seen as a margin expansion story, um, and so the market does have margin. You know, I'm looking at EBITDA margins uh, growth of, you know, call it 100 basis points or so over the next couple of years. You beat on EBITDA margin expectations today. Just how do we think about the continued ability to grow margins? Um, and it's quite interesting because I think FY22 is a very hard year, um, given freight costs, FX, and other factors. How should we think about the business growth in margins over the more medium term? Yeah, I mean, immediately we're certainly facing, still facing into some, you know, really, you know, really sort of tough environment that we're sort of we're managing. Um, you know, the opportunities for a margin expansion is, you know, if we can, you know, if we can, um, you know, deliver some significant growth on this broad and tan. Um, you know, we'll be able to deliver leverage because we've had a significant investment in our cost of doing business platforms, particularly our, our overhead platforms, over the last three years. And if you have a close look at the metrics, you know, that is, you know, relative to the top last two years, that, that is sort of coming on, it's slowing in terms of its rate of growth. So the, the bigger story, you know, into the medium term will be what can we do from a, a leverage perspective versus a margin perspective. The one, the one caveat I put on that is the second, is we will be putting a second BC in, um, either in um, New South Wales or Queensland. That will take significant uh, interstate freight costs out of the business that will deliver gross margin expansion. But it will add cost, like the in, like the distribution centre did in Melbourne. It will add cost in your overhead profile, but it will be even data creative. If it's not even data creative at the uh, business case sanction level, obviously we won't go ahead with it. But um, you know we're expecting that it's going to deliver some margin growth and some even data uplift over the course of time. We're also we're still only uh, in terms of um, direct import penetration. We're still only at 15%, and we think that over time we'll be able to continue to lift that, um, and that'll do it at margin over time also. And I think also that our private label product today for tennis sale at the moment is, is something that we've got headroom to move in as well. Very good. And just finally, on the actual category itself, given you've um, lifted the amount of SKUs and your offering has become a lot broader, how much of your offering um, overall would you say is non-discretionary or how much of it is now pushing into a discretionary type category? Um, look, I think what, we, what, we, what we're really focusing is what we always do is you know, making sure uh, that we have the broadest range for the consumer. Our, our focus is, is, has and will be on, on, the, on the less discretionary aspects and um, you know, things like, for instance, uh, you know, high fashion apparel for, for young babies. That's something that we, we're not contemplating. It's something that we, we would have but potentially a marketplace opportunity for somebody else. So, you know, we, we're still concerned with, you know, the basics, what people need every day, whether it be, you know, the basic T-shirts, the basic underwear for young kids or, you know, the, the basic learning by learning through play type toys. So, um, and then there's clearly the, um, you know, we, we see opportunities through the, the furniture departments, we see opportunities still through uh, wheel goods and, and, and car safety as well.
which are you know less discretionary. Thank you. Maybe just a final one. Is, are there, is there anything on the horizon with regards to you know uh, Australian standards around some of the products you sell, and is it becoming more stringent, or you know others not being able to comply? That we should be aware of. Um, no, Chad, it's been it's been been the same. Um, certainly, uh, Australia has got very differentiated standards, and uh, probably I would consider the highest standards in the world of product safety. Um, and, and there doesn't I can't imagine that they're going to look to change that. Um, you know, safety is the number one priority for our kids. Thank you for your time. Appreciate it very much. Thanks, Chad. Thank you. There are no further questions at this time. I would like to turn the call back over to Matt to close out the presentation. Um, thanks so much, Paul. I just want to say to everybody, thank you very much for your support during the year and also thanks for joining us today. Um, it's much appreciated by both Darren and myself. Thank you. Thank you. This concludes today's conference call. You may now disconnect.